Hello and welcome to the Architects of the Future podcast, the podcast for agencies, software companies, and any business really in the creative sectors that rely on custom work. This podcast is all about how to create more predictability in your business, more scalability in your business, so you can have more financial freedom of time and of resources so that you can put your creative skills and talents to going out and serving the world and creating a big impact. I have a very, very special guest and about a topic that's really, really dear dear to my heart. And today we're going to be talking about storytelling, the art of storytelling, the power of storytelling, not only in making you a more effective leader, a more effective uh, marketeer, salesperson, but also how storytelling has the power to literally transform and heal your own lives and the lives of those around you. And today we have we, today we have Alex Glaude, who is a master storyteller. Alex Glaude is a senior trainer, and he's the founder of his company called Story Arc. Story Arc is responsible for training over 2,500 people and walking through his process of how he gets people basically to use more human-centric approaches and methods to marketing through storytelling. And he has over 14,000 students on his Udemy uh, courses, which are all about storytelling. And not only that, uh, Alex actually, we reached already 20,000. <laughs> there you go, guys. Hey, look, I'm serious here. We're talking about Jedi level uh, uh, mastery when it comes to storytelling. Look, you guys like my stories. You guys like the way I present. I learned a ton from this gentleman here. And, uh, and he is really, really literally next level. He's got not one, not two, but three TEDx talks. And all of them have several tens of thousands of views. I don't know how many by now, Alex. And... Um, and if you're new to this channel, just a quick shout out. This channel is called Architects of the Future. And it's, you know, if you're looking for living a life of more meaning, more purpose, more impact, right? If you're looking to make a profit or turn your passions, your ideas, your beliefs, your values into profits and live a life that's more engaging, more meaningful and to the fullest, then every single week we interview people who are taking massive action in the world and, and going in there and making a big impact. And today we have none other than my friend, Mr. Alex Lord. Welcome to the show. Thank you, man. Thank you for inviting me and uh, happy to be here. It's an honor. Hey, no, it's a real honor for us. And like, guys, as the show goes, Alex, you got to be a little bit patient, right? I'm going to give you the floor. You're going to have all your space. And believe me, I'm <laughs> sure you're going to captivate the audience when it's your turn. But, you know, before that happens, right, and you steal the show literally from me, uh, I just want to start the show like I always do, which is I always give a little bit of a backstory to my guests, right? Because, um, you know, I just, this is the way I do it. But, and this also highlights also why storytelling is so important, right? Now, when I met Alex, this must have been about two and a half years ago, right? And I was just literally in the beginning of my journey of going out there and having the courage to go and share my message, right? I had just, let's say, experienced a very, very difficult time during divorce, my company coming undone and having to build it back up from scratch. And all these things were going on in my life, but I was so happy and so free because I was finally going out there and promoting and speaking about things that I actually cared about and I actually believed in, okay? And, and this is how I met Alex. I met Alex actually in a conference that me and Alex ended up hosting for the last three years in a row, okay? So that speaks a little bit about my and Alex's experience. 
experience together. But in this conference, which is called Urban Talks, this was the very first edition of it, you know, I was literally uh, about to go on stage and I remember I was out in the break and I don't know if you remember this, Alex, but Alex was, you know, he was, he had this brace over his head because he had just suffered a really <laughs> bad accident in Amsterdam. Sorry to embarrass you like this, my friend. But so he was, Alex was literally like in like, if you can imagine like, you know, four points with this kind of steel like structure to keep your, your spine, I guess that was, or your neck straight, right, Alex? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So look, I was, I was like, I didn't notice you at that point, but I was speaking to, to a lady who happened to be later words. I found out your girlfriend, there was no funny business there. Right. But still I was speaking to, to uh, your girlfriend at the time and we we're just having a normal conversation. And then at one point, you know, you kind of entered the conversation and you know, you realized that you're about to go on stage. I was about to go on stage, but before that happened, I remember, I don't know what I was talking about, but I was talking to my usual, like passionate self. And at one point, this massive spit, like literally phlegm-like spit, just jumped out of my mouth by accident and landed right on Justina's face here. All I felt was this, like I literally felt myself turn red. Like I must have felt like my skin turned to the color of a red uh, uh, lamp or something like that. I was so embarrassed. And not only that, but then I realized that you were actually a speaker that was coming on after me. So I go in there, I give it my, you know, my performance and I got really, really good reviews from that. And I'm thinking, man, I'm the shit. I'm doing well here, right? And then I realized you're up next, right? And you're going on stage. And what amazed me straight away was despite your little like challenges, mobility challenges at the time, you had the whole audience right before you even started singing along. Uh, I think it was, you were doing the, we will rock you thing, even in your, in your, in your thing. This is how Alex warms up audiences. So like what would we usually do with speakers and here's a little pro tip for you guys is you always have to engage the audience. There's a couple of, you know, key tricks. Mine is a very basic one, I think compared to Alex's, but you know, you ask a couple of enrolling questions like, Hey, so who's here to learn how they can make a better impact in the world? Who's here to learn how to turn their passions into profits, right? That's, that's an enrolling question. And then you want to get the audience a little bit engaged, right? Letting them feel like they're, like they're um, you know, um, forming a synergy with each other. And what I like to do is I usually say, hey, guys, do me a little favor. I know it's you know, early in the morning, but please do me a small favor. Please stand up. Raise your right hand and turn to the person next to you and say, Colin says, you're awesome. Thank you for being here. And that's my little kind of thing. Now, Alex takes this to a whole other level because Alex, his version of warming up the audience is literally having the audience on their feet, screaming some kind of a, a queen anthem. Usually we will rock you. We are the champions and stamping on their feet and creating this crazy energy in the room. So that's the very first impression I got of you. And, um, and I'm just going to finish this off with, hey, man, every single time me and you have been in a conference in summer where we've been paired up, man, I've just like been studying a master at work, like literally from the first process. I realized that, you know, if you want to be a speaker, if you want to go out and give your message, just like anything, it's a process. You got to study all the little details and preparation is key. I saw how much you prepared for these conferences, how like, let's say not maniacal, but like caring you were for me as a new speaker. Remember all those little tricks that you would do to get me out of my nervousness. And I remember also all the organizational details you would, you know, you would put in, in your role as a host. And I just realized actually hosting is so much more than just going up there and introducing some names and creating an atmosphere and, and getting that thing rolling. So, Hey guys, it's an honor to have Alex and Alex, man, thank you so much for being here. Thank you also for officiating my wedding. Alex literally officiated my wedding. Gabriela, if you're watching out there, uh, and anyone who was at our wedding, you know that we had a ton of laughs that it was one of the most beautiful moments sincere. I didn't not want a religious moment. I wanted basically something real from a, a person I value the most. And, uh, and Alex was there to step in for that. 
We probably have some videos on that, but we had one of the best weddings. Everyone's still talking about it. So, hey, without further ado, Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Thanks, and thanks for the big, uh, big introduction. That was uh, that was lovely. <laughs> yeah, well, as we do, and as you know, that we've been trained to do. But hey, Alex, look, um, just for our audience members, um, you know, I've already given a couple of details about you. But uh, first of all, tell mm -hmm. me where are you where are you at right now? I think the audience would find that quite interesting. Yeah, well, uh, currently I'm in uh, Montevideo in Uruguay. I'm in the middle of a uh, sabbatical two-month trip through uh, for this area, Argentina, Uruguay, and Chile. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been a bit of a dream of mine to visit South America ever since I was in university. But back then, you know, it was all dreams, no money, no possibility, no resources. Uh, but luckily, I uh, reached that point where now I could uh, I could do it, and I thought it would be a good way to start 2020 and um, enjoy more of the sun, but also spend some quality time with myself and uh, get some perspective on what I want to do in the next uh, decade. Hey, and, and by the way, if you remember our talks, both of our talks were kind of had some similar themes in the very, very first conference, and maybe that's why we gelled a lot. And I think you even reached out to me about doing a project, and I wanted to reach out with you. But our talks were all about also this, this important period of self-reflection. You called it cocooning. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you said cocooning was so important for you and you were going through something then, I was going through something then. Uh, just for the audience's sake, again, a bit of context, like, you know, tell me about this cocooning process of yours that you were talking about back then and right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So technically going by the, the metaphor of um, how a butterfly comes to, to be, and in the first stage of what is called, I think, the larva stage, um, there is that point of absorbing a lot of resources. So in order for, um, to reach the, the second stage, uh, the larva eats a lot, of, uh, a lot of leaves and just gathers a lot of resources. In the same way, there are times when we need to absorb, we need to take in, uh, you know, we, we go to conferences, we, go, we read books, we listen to audiobooks, uh, we do coaching, therapy, whatever it is, and we try to, to get input as well as feedback and, and uh, ideas from, from the people around us. And then... There is a moment where after all of that and all the experience, there's a, there's a necessary moment to, to kind of integrate all of that. And so after a period that very much depends, you know, some people can do it once a year, once every six months or once every three or four years, everybody has their own rhythm. Uh, there's the second stage and here is where the cocooning starts. And this is an interesting fact uh, regarding what happens uh, to the larva is that before it becomes a butterfly, like 70% of its body dissolves. So there is that point where we also need to say like, okay, I've absorbed, I've experienced, I've learned a great deal. Now, what do I leave behind in order to let the other things build and uh, cross together? And so there, there's that kind of that point where, okay, you've taken all of the input, but now it's kind of time to make your own decisions and start putting new things into practice. And that's where that, that part of... Um, the wings start developing all of the new the new uh the new body and the good thing is you feel a lot lighter because that's what uh you know a butterfly needs in order to fly it needs to, to feel very light and, and of so course, the, the flight it, itself right yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah and so it's it's very important at this point to know what to leave behind what what baggage isn't useful anymore as well as what knowledge is, isn't useful anymore because there might be some things that you know worked two or three years ago uh but now they don't um and I think in general, it's good to have this, this constant ability or let's say the, the humility of thinking that I don't know the truth. There's still a lot more I need to learn. And some ideas may have been helpful in the past, but now I need to kind of go into a completely different direction. And of course, this is also the period where you simply say you let go of control and you kind of let the flow guide you. And so in the last stage, 
after you eliminate what what is not relevant and you kind of feel a lot lighter you spread your wings and you go out and explore and go out and create and i believe it's useful not just for us as individuals but i think for us as a society it's important to go for these stages of reinvention of looking at okay what we've done in the past years let's see what are we going to leave behind what are the new values we want to guide ourselves through and to go out and experiment because um we have been suffering let's say for the past few decades from uh, a feeling of just staying put and staying in the same lane and being too afraid of making big steps like you know uh, when when we had the problem of the ozone layer it was something that nobody questioned we were all like behind it hey we need to do something about it and there was global movement in that direction but now when you see you know things like climate change we're just st- stuck in the same place and we need that vision we need that thinking that takes us way out of our comfort zone and um that's kind of uh, where i'm at i'm i think now i'm getting into i'm in the middle of my cocooning and uh where i go at the end of it i don't know but uh, there's still a month uh, a month and a week left to uh to think about it so no rush in that direction well happy cocooning my brother and definitely something i recommend all your audience members take uh take note of what was basically just said it's a, such an important let's say process that i also put myself towards now it happens in cycles and there's big cycles like every 3 4 years you might need to take a big trip like alex did but it can also happen you know within a month on a month basis or between major little changes or not but the point is uh, and the key thing i think you're talking about here alex is also also is this awareness that should allow you basically to guide you and say hey look some things need to change right now and this is a period of not just going forward hands or hands uh, or or uh, with your with your eyes closed and just keep grinding or pushing and going and knocking your head against things that are clearly let's say changing not working anymore and to have the awareness to sit still and more importantly i think your metaphor which is a beautiful metaphor by the way guys and we're going to talk about this but alex uses metaphors to a t it's something i still have uh, yet to learn from you but uh, the metaphor about the the whole cocoon is providing yourself that space right that space which is your own space living in your space not having all that outside influences right you know politics expectations relationships job all those things just to be apart from that a little bit so you can feel your own truth your own space get to morph into something new into something fresh into something true so yeah amazing man thank you very much for that and and now we can finally get to your back story alex man let's tell us a couple of things about you know where you're at right now what you're doing in general you know with your company and um and um and what kind of clients you target and what kind of projects you're undergoing and later i'd love to give the audience a little bit of a you know of a of a glimpse into how you got to this stage mm-hmm. sure so technically the the work of, that i do and uh, what what i try to accomplish with my company is to first of all help companies create a sense and be- sense of belonging inside their uh, their their organization like to make sure that like all of the people that join an organization feel very quickly adapted to to this new reality because every every organization kind of has its own rituals its own value system and when somebody enters there is that need for someone to kind of guide them through the experience and i see the storyteller as a as a critical role in the organization as someone that knows how to welcome a new joiner is someone who manages to pass on values principles and ideas and helps them uh, go through their own hero's journey because in the end we all go through that cycle of life it's something that is universal to to all of us regardless of age background or what job we do and so my first mission is to create storytellers in companies that help pass on this legacy 
of experiences, of knowledge, of wisdom that doesn't come from books, but comes from the personal experience of that company, of that group of people. Secondly, I, I help companies, um, especially small entrepreneurs, put their story out there and to make sure that that story not only helps them bring in more clients, but it's also a story that resonates deeply with people and sends out a message for, to all of us. And that's something that most uh, great brands do besides uh, putting their name out there and wanting to make sure that people buy from them. They also use opportunities to uh, speak up on certain issues. Sometimes some companies don't do it too well. Uh, my best example recently was, uh, was uh, one of uh, Pepsi's uh, advertising campaigns with, tied into the protests, which really backfired on them. And that's why it's important for it to be hard and also used in, in real life, you know. And um, my, my hope is that for the work I do, uh, the company tell their story. And in order to make this work, it's not just about the story you say about yourself. It's also about the stories that other people say about you. And in order to do that, you need, you need to create value. You need, really, you need to be present in people's lives in a meaningful way. And uh, last but not least, um, there's a lot of great knowledge and a lot of cool stuff that is happening right now, but um, it's, it's very hard to translate it into usual terms. So besides storytelling, another ancient method of communication that I like to teach is drawing. And drawing can be very useful because it helps explain uh, ideas from uh, domains like IT, finance, uh, project management, engineering, all of those things that are incredibly important. They're Innovative and they're changing the world, and to help translate them in ways that are very easy to understand to uh, to the common uh, to the common person, so to say. But at the same time, because there are people inside the company that don't really understand what other departments actually do, right. or we have new joiners who don't really understand the methodologies, and so they're, they're they always have to integrate new ideas. So using these two ancient methods of communication, storytelling and drawing, it's an easy way to translate the, the most complex ideas into simple form. And it helps them pass on and circulate a lot, a lot quicker. Right, right. And uh, and we're going to be talking about a part of that process. And uh, hey, guys, uh, you know the, what's fascinating about Alex? Apart from being a masterful storyteller, he's a killer drawer, man. You should check out his course on Udemy. It's all about drawing for effective storytelling. I think is the name of the course, Alex. What's the name of the course on Udemy? Uh, there's two of them: uh, drawing for business communication and drawing for meetings, trainings, and presentations. Right. Hey, look, I just want to backtrack a little bit and um, sure. and uh, cover a couple of things about what you do, because, you know, I think it's fascinating. I think the audience deserves, uh, you know, um, to hone in on some of these points. Before I do, I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, a couple of people who have joined today's live stream. We got Gabriela, baby. How are you doing? My wife here watching over oh. us. Hey, look, it's our priest here <laughs> over here in, in Uruguay. Costi uh, Savu, Anka Andronik, Alex Chernatescu, who is a heavyweight in advertising industry. So you're going to find this uh, interview interesting. Uh, uh, Alex, please do comment and give us some feedback and questions. We'd love to hear your input. Janos Crisanto, all the way from Cyprus. Vitor Pereira, hey. Hey, what's up, Vitor, man? Me and Alex introduce Vitor, who is a rock star of the smart city world. He's from Portugal. He's doing some crazy work. you got to check out his work, too. Vitor Pereira, okay? Anything you want to know about smart yeah. cities uh, and, uh, and uh, smart living, check out Vitor Pereira. Lelinda Bourgeois, Nick Stasinopoulos. Hey, what's up, guys? Say a quick hi to know that you're here, right? And the more engagement we get, the more other people can come in and check out and benefit from this unique guest that we have today anymore. Hey, Octave, what's up, brother? Benji, 
Yeah, do you know Octav, Alex? I think you know Octav. Octav, not sure. Not sure. I thought it was another friend of mine that was also Octavian, but uh, you know Tavi. That's but I thought uh, I thought it was him. Th that's what she said. <laughs> no, it, it is the Octav. Uh, Octav, by the way, is a good friend of both of ours. What's up, guys? Say a quick hello so that we know that you're here. And hey, here's your opportunity to ask a master in storytelling, a master of clarifying, you know, complicated concepts. That's literally, if you heard what Alex does in essence, he clarifies concepts and puts them not only in a way that people understand, but that people can also engage with in a meaningful way. And hey, what more do you want out of, uh, you know, effective communication? And, uh, and, you know, I think one thing that you touched on, which I didn't really realize you did, because I guess my filter is focusing on what you do for small and medium businesses. I knew you worked with big corporations, but you said that you help disseminate really crucial information that is not passed down through systems from leadership to be able to encode into a story and hence promote culture, right? So this is about yeah. touching a little bit about storytelling and leadership. Can you touch a little bit upon that so for our audience? Sure. So let's put it this way. This is kind of the, the metaphor and the, um, the structure that, uh, that I use in this regard. So let's imagine you are the manager or you are the person that is in charge of integrating uh, a new member in a, in a team. So you know that there is like a hero's journey waiting for him, through which at the end of which he will feel competent, independent, and ready to fulfill his work. And what you know is that as he delves into the unknown, he will require some guidance. He will need a bit of training. So you kind of take the role of the Yoda and you have to prepare him to use the force, so to say. But in order to use the force, you also have to be aware of what luggage does he have in the, in the sense that we all come from different places where things are done differently, or we all have the legacy of, of let's say, the old uh, educational system that isn't very useful when it comes to working in a company. Because in the educational system, you're not allowed to fail. You're not allowed to make mistakes. If you do, you're laughed at. And the relationship you form with your uh, figure of authority, the teacher, right. doesn't really help you in this new environment. So a skillful storyteller understands where this person comes from and understands what process lies ahead. Mm -hmm. So what he does is that he identifies, first of all, what are the behaviors and values that this person needs in order to succeed? Mm -hmm. And then he looks into his own personal history and thinks, when did I struggle with this and when did I actually start integrating it in my life. Right. And this way, there's a way in which uh, that storyteller sets an example for him. So whenever he will be faced with similar issues, similar challenges, he will have a reference of, ah, yes, he told me I would go for something like this, so I'll be there. Uh, in the same way, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi's voice appears for Luke Skywalker in the first movie saying, use the force, Luke. In a similar way, that voice stays into the, the newcomer's head. And when he is met with that situation, at least he has a reference. Right. And especially when you want to help people embrace failure, if you are the first one to talk openly about failure, and it makes sure that you avoid that situation where that person is going to first put everything under the rug or blame it on anyone else or simply be afraid of admitting they're overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. But if you set that precedent, they will know, okay, now I'm overwhelmed. Now I feel I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fail or I made a mistake. They will know, okay, this is the person I can talk to. He will understand, and there's a precedent. Therefore, I can uh, I can be open, and I can feel as if I can freely communicate and express myself in this environment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that is technically the job you do. You make sure that first of all, you give him the base knowledge that he needs. But then, as the story progresses, it's important to 
have other story prepared for when that moment comes. Because, okay, there is a moment where that failure does come about. And one of the things you might, which is universal, is to find that this newcomer criticizes himself a great deal or he's a blamer. He just blames it on the context. It's not his fault. And so you have to be ready for that as well. And again, find stories in your own personal history that relate to that. Mm -hmm. And then use that example of how you can invite him to see things differently, how you can invite him to let go of that old habit because it was a protective mechanism that probably made sense in the past, but now it just doesn't. And through that story and through your example, you can help him integrate, let go, and accept the new way of doing things. Right. And... The last part is that once you feel that this person has really reached that level of independence and, you know, he's autonomous, he can do what he, what he, what he is asked to do, it's important to kind of document his process. And in a moment of, let's say, like a one-year anniversary since he's been working there, you know, to have an appreciation moment with the team and to say, hey, I remember when you came here in the beginning and I saw you, you were pretty shy, pretty closed in, and... Um, I could feel you were overwhelmed. I could feel that you really didn't uh, understand what was going on, but you didn't give up. And I've seen you go through different challenges and different, making different mistakes, mistakes that I've made and many of us made here. But what I've seen differently is that you've learned very quickly. You've accepted every challenge and every feedback we, we gave you. And look at you now. Look at how many things you've accomplished throughout the years. And that story can mean, you know, can mean the world. Because unfortunately, most of us don't get that feedback from our friends or from our bosses. Nobody uh, takes the time to think about all the processes we went through and how much of a challenge it is just to be here where you are, you know, and to, to acknowledge all of the growth you've had throughout time. And so this is kind of an invitation to look at our relationships differently, not just of the people we work with, but in general, think of how you look at your friends and they change, they go through things. And from time to time, if you stop and give that person that appreciation uh, that is real, it's coming from the heart and it's based on reality and that you see that you actually care and remember all of those moments, that can be an incredible burst of energy. And for companies, the great advantage in that moment is that their turnout is, is, is going to be lower. Not that many people are going to leave that company if they feel appreciated, if they feel valued, if they feel it's an environment where relationships matter. Because in the end, that's why we leave certain companies. Sometimes, yeah, okay, we might be forced because we need to make a lot more money and maybe that company doesn't provide. But most of the times, uh, if, if it's a beautiful, uh, supportive environment, there you can do a lot of great things. And you are willing to be paid less and stay there rather than go to somewhere where you're paid more, but there's more stress, there's more competition and not that much cooperation. Yeah, that's what I found so amazing about storytelling. It's, um, it's such a, 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 a technique, and I didn't realize this in leadership because I use this in sales, I use it probably intuitively also in leadership in my team and also in my coaching, right? But you know, whoever is able to kind of create that uniform structure of a cohesive story, right? For themselves, for the company, for the people in the company and to create that meaning, right? And that structured meaning about, look, this is at this stage of where we're at. This is where we're going. This is what you had to go through. And whoever can encapsulate that in that kind of like well laid out format. And this is probably what you teach. This is what I teach also my students when it comes to sales, but I teach them also the hero's journey, which I'd like to touch on in a little bit. But this structure of the hero's journey, which I'd love to dive a little bit deeper with you, it's got such a, 
like I don't know this this cohesive unifying kind of structure and I'm wondering before we dive into what is the hero's journey why do you think that is why storytelling has such an impact to the degree where and I'll give you an example in my life right you know recently I was invited to to speak on uh, on behalf of the World Bank in uh, in a joint venture with the Bucharest City Hall and we were talking about some topics that quite frankly of course I you know I probably should have no business being in that room per se because we were talking about urban uh, strategy and development and the vision for creating a unified urban strategy for Bucharest by 2050, right? And in the room, we're literally captains of industry. We're talking about the sum total of most rooms that, are, that I was in was probably, you know, close to a billion or more uh, dollars. And uh, that's how much value there was in terms of the communities and the, the, the heads of different companies that I was speaking and I was addressing to because we were going to these communities and asking for their feedback on how they thought we could create a more competitive, a better Bucharest till by 2050. And, you know, by employing these techniques and these structures, I was able to create kind of like that unity, that cohesiveness in the room, put them on focus about what the overall mission and goal is of this meeting and, you know, foster dialogue to the point where afterwards they were, you know, coming up to me saying, wow, you really know your stuff. And I'm like, quite frankly, I don't really know much about this. I'm a human being. And what uh, what allowed me to do that, uh, Alex, and what I found so fascinating about this and the power of storytelling, and this is what I really want to share with all people watching right now, and why your story is not only important, but the way in which you say it is important, is that just by sharing my own personal story before starting the whole process and telling people, this is my experience of Bucharest. This is literally how I felt when I first landed and I took those first steps in that chaotic, beautiful mess that is Bucharest and seeing all those beautiful old, uh, you know, interbellic, uh, you know, buildings with all those glorious architecture mixed up with all those great calming blocks and all the, the, the life pulsating through the, the city and how I fell in love with the place. And starting with that, right, starting with a very personal story around that and what my journey was living throughout Bucharest, you know, I was able to solicit this kind of, hey, like, I want to listen to this guy, right? He cares about our city. He cares about my situation. I trust him. Let's have a nice open dialogue about that now my question to you is why is it so effective what is it about storytelling well i think because there's two main uh, needs that a story covers so we as humans we have two profound needs due to the fact that we are first of all social animals and second because we have a conscious and that is we we are incredibly hungry for connection and meaning so first connection um through uh, our biology we we need to have relationships. Without relationships, we feel in, in, in danger, we feel insecure, and relationships give us a sense of belonging, giving a sense of protection. And for, for all of our ancestors, being part of a tribe was crucial to survival. And that's why for, for us, rejection and all of those other things hurt a great deal. Now, why a story, uh, a story facilitates connection is because usually in a story, we reveal Part of, parts of ourselves that are not obvious. For example, um, we reveal our vulnerability, we reveal our interests, we reveal um, the learning process, or we reveal our passion. And that is something that most of the times isn't shared. And so when you see that and you identify with that story, you feel connected. So that's why in order to have a story that really resonates, you need to find a story that resonates with that audience. So before every, every event, like what I do is I think, who are the people there and what story can reach them and what or where are they in their own process right now? And so that story, if it reflects where they are right now, if it re reflects their values, their beliefs, they will feel like that story is about them. And so, of course, they feel connected with you. They feel like uh, you're one of the tribe, you're one of the gang, you know, so that's that's the first uh, the first thing. 
The second is, like I said, the, uh, it facilitates uh, our hunger for meaning. If we don't have meaning in our, our lives, uh, most of us go into a great deal, a deep dive of depression. Now, here's the thing. I believe it's useful in general to realize that in it, in it of itself, uni the universe and the world we live in, it has no inherent meaning. It only has the meaning you give it. And so at first, we're all kind of following up on external meanings. And we know we look to our priests, we look to our politicians, we look to our history, and we look at that as being the thing that gives us meaning. But as we grow up, we realize that those things are you know, fabricated or used by other people for their own gains. And so you kind of have to knit your own meaning. But, to, but when you realize that, at first, it can be a little bit you know, challenging. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, what a story does is that it brings meaning and order to a chaotic experience, which is human life. Human life is incredibly chaotic, even though sometimes it doesn't feel like it. And so what a story does is that it kind of, it kind of approaches that reality of chaos, but then brings order and meaning to it. And for example, you can find meaning in a lot of great, a lot of things, you know, like you said, you had, you found a lot of meaning in your experience to come to Bucharest. And so for the people in the audience who felt like, man, my life in Bucharest is meaningless. Once you come with that story, it helps them kind of revive their passion. They're like, Hey, yeah, you're right. Wait, Bucharest isn't really that bad. Or like, yes, I could make it even better. And so this is a story kind of empowers people to create their, their own meaning and create their own story realize like, hey, I can make this about something. Rather than it being something mundane and, and uh, uninspiring, I can change that. I can make it about something else. And so um, that's why stories, I think, resonate a great deal because they cover these two needs. And especially in moments of, let's say, like, you know, as we're talking about, in your case, the future of uh, Bucharest, since there is no reference, people are hungry for a vision. They're hungry for someone to give meaning to this experience. And so, of course, you, you come in in a, in a market that, in, in which nobody really provides a future. Only people just provide commentary and, and criticism. So when you come as a person that just gives hope and possibility and a vision and idea, people are just going to be like, yes, oh, finally. Because we just can't live without that. You know, we, it, it may seem cool to, to, to live in a perspective of, uh, how do you call it, uh, being ap having ap being apathetic, being cynical, and you might feel like you're cooler than everyone else because you're like, yeah, yeah, but yeah. But in the end, it, it's not really something that will make you happy. You don't feel in any way fulfilled. And that's kind of the, the, the thing that um, we need. And I believe in all of our stories, we can find a great deal of meaning. And if we pass that on, everyone else will receive it and maybe we'll apply it later on. And that's why I think that matters more than the, the, the skill, the experience, the, the technical data you bring. Without meaning, without connection, all of that information is just going to go through one year and exit the other. Right. I mean, I mean, there are even some studies that go to show that, uh, I mean, uh, uh, orphans or, yeah, orphans' brains literally are studied. I mean, you know, monkey orphans, child orphans. And they find that there is mm -hmm. a huge degree of disassociation, disconnection between different parts of the brain, right? Different parts where memory lives, where senses live. And uh, a happy person's brain, on the other hand, one that's been well nurtured, one that's, uh, you know, had a, a relatively happy uh, life, 
is one where there is a huge connection of various different parts of the brain. So that's something that has something to say about happiness and something to say about the meaning that we associate it interconnect between different senses, experience, and all those things. It's a biological thing, which you refer to, right? Meaning literally actually is ingrained in our biology in some sense. It's what makes us happier, as that example was. And storytelling allows us basically to find meaning in all those areas of life and hence make us happier. So we're going to talk about how that's important later, right? But um, I think that was a really nice mm -hmm. definition, a really nice explanation of why storytelling is so important. And uh, let's talk now specifically about the hero's journey. It's one of my favorite tools. When I learned it, my head literally blew off. I was like, holy mm -hmm. crap. And uh, I'll tell you my definition of it, uh, just because, you know, you know, ask the amateur to give the easy uh, the definition. And then let's go to the expert to break it down mm -hmm. and see how he, how he uses it and how he deploys it. Okay. But, you know, the, the hero's journey is, um, you know, um, at least the, where I first encountered it, a script by a guy called uh, Campbell, Joseph Campbell, I believe, right? So this is my version, Joseph Campbell, right? And he basically wrote that, um, you know, there is a huge degree of, of a positive correlation between blockbusters in Hollywood, like 90% of all blockbusters, meaning, you know, big Hollywood movies, big successful Hollywood movies, all seem to follow a certain set structure, right? It's like every single one of these 90% of these blockbusters have this one thing in common, and the 10%, right, they're about random subjects, but they have no correlation. So there's a higher chance, 90% higher chance of having a blockbuster if you employ this, this structure of storytelling. And the hero's journey, you'll find it, uh, and I think most of you guys will recognize it, and I'll give an example. But um, in essence, there are three major sections to it. The first section is the backstory. This is where you meet the hero and where usually you see the heroes kind of like flaws and everyday living. And this is where you start to empathize with a character, right? You start to become invested in his story. And the first act is always about some kind of a barrier, some kind of a wall that comes, right? This is a challenge. For example, you know, um, he loses his girlfriend or uh, something is taken away which then creates a challenge a quest to go find it right in lord of the rings it was when gandalf came and said uh, uh, and said to um, um uh, who was the character frodo. again to frodo thank you very much to frodo hey man look you're on a quest you have to go take care of this ring and you band together so wall comes challenge created a quest is then formed, and through this quest, growth happens, right? They realize certain abilities, certain powers, and then at one point, right, uh, it wouldn't be a good story without a little bit of drama. So this is literally the, the, the second act where something happens that challenges the hero's journey towards achieving this external objective. Remember, it's going to get a girl, going to find a ring, whatever that external objective that the the, the initial challenge created. And at this stage, you know, this is where he might face the big bad guy or where some things might happen in the story which make him, you know, reconsider his journey if he's doing the right thing, if he's going the right place, if he has it in him to be able to complete this journey. And at that stage, it's where the hero has to make a crucial decision whether he doubles down and goes all the way through, he goes and gets the girl, he saves, he fights the bad guy, whatever that is. And in that, this is the crucial part of the hero's journey, because the hero's journey is actually not about one journey, but about two journeys. The external journey, which is always exter external driven. I'm going after this goal, this quest, this girl. And in doing so, the journey along the way 
is an internal one of transformation. And sometimes the transformation is more important than actually achieving the goal, right? You've all heard of that story where in the end, guy tries to get the girl or girl tries to get the guy, realizes the guy's an asshole anyways, and she realizes that she has more self-worth than that than to actually have to go after the guy, okay? So just a quick example, Spider-Man, Peter Parker, right? You meet him in the beginning, lovable little nerdy guy, right? He's a bit socially awkward. You kind of like, you know, like that he's trying. He's living next to the girl of his dreams. He's never had the guts to tell Mary Jane that he loves her, but they're best friends. What happens? Wall comes. Spider. Get bit by a radioactive spider. He creates or he's formed with these new skills, these new powers. He starts to realize that he can do all these cool stuff. He goes on this crazy journey. And then what happens, right? At one point, uh, tragedy strikes. Because of some of his actions, because of his powers going to his head, he ends up in a scenario where he literally has to hold his dying uncle in his arms who was just shot because of some bad guy that got away out of you know his carelessness and that's when his uncle tells him hey peter with great responsibility comes great power and this is where peter has to decide whether he doubles down and goes and fights the bad guy and does it the right way or he just goes home and and gives up the spider-man suit and what does he do of course he goes all the way through ends up kissing the girl and an internal transformation has occurred because he realized that it's not about being cool it's about being a responsible human being and going out there and being a protector of people. This is where he starts to take his role seriously. So, classic hero's journey. Anything I'm missing there, Alex? Yeah, the quote is actually, with great power comes great responsibility, not the other way, even though that does apply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true, both ways. Hey, so, guys, that's, that's the hero's journey. It's so powerful and so effective. You read, structure any of your stories that you're trying to deliver along that, and, you know, there's magic that happens in that. Now... Uh, we'll cover the why in a second, right? And we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, and actually, let's start there, Alex. Why do you think that's so powerful, let's say, as a process and as in a journey? And you mentioned it several times before, and, and I'm sure that it's a big part of what you do in your work, right? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, because, I mean, so to kind of complete uh, the story that you that you said, uh, so Joseph Campbell, he was, um, he was a, a person that was passionate about myths. So he studied all the myths and legends of human human culture. So he looked at, uh, you know, the stories of, um, of the of ancient Greece, of the stories of Judaism, Christianism, of, of Buddhism, Hinduism, all of those, as well as the stories of, of legends of uh, religions and cultures from Africa, from uh, South America before the Europeans came here and all of that stuff. And what he found was this universality, that this is where the whole structure came through. And later on, Blockbuster kind of started emulating it. Mm -hmm. um, with this idea that there is a common experience that a hero must go through in order to become the hero. And um, it's exactly what you said. These are kind of the steps. Uh, he, he does have a more specific, uh, detailed, um, say, set of 12 or 14 steps. Yep, yep. And in the end, what you covered is the, the gist of it, the, the, the general structure. Now, the reason I, feel, I believe it is that universal is because it, it kind of, describes our human day-to-day -day experience. So we go through different stages of development. So let's imagine um, the moment you, you first, you try to learn to ride the bike or you try to learn to swim. You know, in the beginning, you lack a great deal of, of, um, of, of skill, of expertise, and there are some fears that might stop you to get there. You know, and so as you learn to swim, the first thing is that, okay, you have to learn, so you have to uh, adopt new behaviors, but at the same time, you have to fight internally with yourself with your need for control, because in order to swim, you kind of have to let go of control. You have to trust the water and just flow with it. 
And so that's kind of an example of how that type of external and internal transformation happens at once. And we all go through that. That's why stories are so important because they help us navigate these difficult times. You know, um, later on in life, we become adults. So we need to uh, take responsibility for our lives. We need to um, become responsible human beings. And that's, that's when we realize, okay, I need to be responsible for the money I make every month and how I spend it. I need to be responsible for the food I'm eating. I need to be responsible for the relationships I'm having. I need to be responsible for the job I have and for the commitments I make to everyone else. And I'm responsible also for the society that I'm part of, this community. And so all of these things are something that, and, and this is something that never really stops because at every new stage, when you start a new job, when you open a business, when you, you, know, you start a family, all of these things require us to go through the same process again and again. We go not really knowing what's expected of us. We do have, let's say our heart is with us. We want to achieve great things. But most of the times we're, we are in the way of us getting there. And it, the best example I have is that in most uh, stories, it's important to focus on that. So if you look at a blockbuster, but like a really good one, focus on how is the hero getting in his own way? Because if you think about the story of the Avengers in the first movie, uh, they're all incredibly competent. They're all great. Like It's not like they need to learn new powers. What they need to learn or to achieve their objective is how to get along. And at first, they're all fighting. They're all, there's all this big, um, so to say, uh, ego, ego, um, egos clashing, and one that feels smarter than the other, and stuff like that. And in order for them to really kind of reach victory, that's what they have to learn. It's a classical story um, structure that you can see in many, repeated in many different ways. But that's kind of the cue to follow in a story, not just what externally they did, like, you know, oh, be defeating the bad guys, but rather internally, how they learn to cooperate, how they learn to get along, set aside their ego and find ways to reach a place that uh, by themselves they couldn't reach, only together they could go there. Right. And I think uh, the hero's journey highlights a couple of, um, you know, really important lessons and important things to, uh, to highlight here, which is, you know, first and foremost, I remember reading about the hero's journey the first time and they said, listen, when you're sharing your story, it's really important actually to highlight your own vulnerabilities in it, your own shortcomings, because this is what makes the yeah. character real. You know, when Superman first came out and, you know, the, the 10th edition was, you know, Superman beats the bad guy and there was a bigger guy and there was a bigger guy and, and Superman kept beating them because he was completely infallible. They had to invent kryptonite to actually make the series more interesting. So your vulnerabilities yeah. are your kryptonite and what makes you humane and it's what makes people invest in your story in the first place. So I think that's, you know, hugely liberating for anyone that wants to share their story in a marketing sense and in a leadership sense. And you said earlier also when it comes to specifically leadership and you want to teach people that it's okay to make mistakes that it's a integral part of the process of owning them and getting over that because you can't put them under the rug you got to pay the bills you got to take care of the people you got to take care of your team right owning your own vulnerabilities is so essential and not only that but sharing them with others gives others permission to do the same and that's what creates that initial empathy that bond the trust of why mm, i gotta listen to this guy you know this guy's real basically this is authentic and so I love this because it gave me permission to do the same. And, and, you know, it's definitely what I tell my students and my clients, which is, man, share yourself exactly the way you are. Exactly the way you are is literally the key probably for someone else to feel okay about the way they are. And it's the key for helping them getting over that internal conflict, getting out of the way of themselves to finally realize mm -hmm. that, hey, man, other people are like this. Other people had to overcome this. And, hey, man, you can also be the hero of your own story.
So, uh, Alex, uh, on this topic, man, um, I know that, and this is the second aspect that I love about the hero's journey, which is I found it incredibly therapeutic, right? Like, I found that the conclusion for me when I studied it was, man, as long as I could take ownership of my story, and ownership is not just rewriting it, it's, it's rewriting mm -hmm. it, reliving it, taking responsibility, cocooning, like you said, you know, going through that process of cocooning, living through the pain and letting it out, letting go of control, emerging to a new sector, forgive, or a new stage of your life, forgiving yourself, the people around you so you can move forward. But after all that, right, the hero's journey is kind of like a way for you to take ownership of your life and a way for you to actually create an empowering story out of your past, out of a potentially disempowering one. And I always, you know, like uh, like to refer to uh, to Oprah Winfrey, who, you know, we all know Oprah who she is right now, but, you know, Oprah's life was not pleasant when she was young, right? She was uh, uh, abused. She, was, she had a series of abusive relationships as a result. And we only came to know her as the Oprah that we know because of how actually vulnerable she was in sharing her story and giving other permission to do the same. And she took her story, all her stories, and she was one of the first people to actually share it out on the open. This was, you know, the Oprah effect. And as a result, people actually, you know, took a, this love and liking to her. So, I mean, for me, it's been incredibly therapeutic, learning how to take my story and say, look, man, how do I become the hero of my own journey, right? This is the challenges, this is what I've been through. How do I change this meeting into something empowering versus something disempowering? And this is a topic that I wanna uh, lead to a little bit from you because, man, you are a massive inspiration and because you've had to overcome a lot, a lot of challenges in your life, especially from a very, very early age. And you've done it with such grace and such beauty and the way you share it, it's just, you know, really inspiring. And, and if you don't mind, I'd love to, to go in a little bit into, you know, what happened in your childhood and, and for people to realize, you know, how hard it was for you to get to this actual point right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, no pressure. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, well, to, to give a bit of a brief, because this is something that we probably would have to talk about for about 30 to 45 minutes. Um, kind of, uh, I was born in uh, in 88 in, in Romania and uh, for in a small town called Bădlad, which is in the east, uh, the east part, which is well known to be the, the, the less educated, less economically developed area of the country. And in the 90s, it was incredibly chaotic. Like um, ever since I was four, I got mugged on the streets and it happened quite often that uh, you would have someone come uh, with a knife to you and say like, hey, give me all your money right now. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of bullying, a lot of violence. And I, for one, as a child, I never really understood that. Um, I never really got into this, this way of behaving. And I never really understood why we always had to beat each other to show who's the strongest. Right. And so... And in school, um, we had this problem that from the very beginning, our teachers, if we didn't do our homework or we did something bad, they would beat us. So imagine at seven years old, having someone who's supposed to be your tutor, your guide in life, is a person who will subject you to physical pain because you make a mistake. Yeah. So it doesn't happen just once. It happens repeatedly, repeatedly and systematically up until fourth grade. Uh, at, and at the same time, there's a lot of bullying, there's a lot of name calling, a lot of shame that is used. And so that's the environment at school. That's the environment in, in, in the streets. And then soon that becomes the environment at home. Now, luckily, my parents never laid their hands on me. Uh, there's only one funny story where my mom did, did slap me. And that is because I slapped her first. She, <laughs> she was just joking about the fact that she ate my candy. And I was like, you ate my candy. And I was like, eight or nine. My mom looked at me and was like, what the hell did you just do? <laughs> so, of course, I didn't part, you know, that, 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 that I had that coming. It's what I learned um, from school, Ma. 
<laughs> but then um, uh, it's swiftly changed with uh, with my brother uh, because my parents had to move away and uh, they were really not present during the my sixth and no my fifth and eighth grade. They weren't really there. They weren't present because they had to work hard to uh, to keep us in school. But my brother was very violent, and uh, as he was kind of a product of his own, own environment, and so all of the the hatred, the pain, the suffering, he kind of put that on me. And uh, he, it, there were constant beatings every day over small things. And then uh, later on, after running away from home one night, uh, spending it all in a train station, I kind of tried to give my parents a sign to say, like, hey, I need you guys here. Like, I can't live like this. But unfortunately, they really did what the best they could. They thought that, well, if they taught some sense into my brother, you know, with a good beating, that would work. Um, but it doesn't really work. So in general, as a, a small a snippet of, of wisdom, if I can share, violence does not, is not the solution to violence. You know, it, that does not work. It just put more gas on the fire. And um, as it turned out, a few weeks later, the beatings continued. They got worse. And then it also was uh, an experience of sexual abuse for, for the next two years. It was incredibly difficult to deal with. And so that was kind of my... You know, that's how I started in the world, you know, welcome to a world where I feel like a complete, complete outcast. I don't, I never saw myself as a man. I never thought I would ever become a man in a true sense because I thought I was weak and I couldn't, I didn't know how to defend myself. I didn't believe in violence. I didn't believe in this way of doing things. Um, from the very beginning, I felt incredibly, in, I felt a great lack of confidence in myself and I felt a great deep of shame for what happened to me. You know, and given the, the, the homophobia of the time, um, I was afraid, well, I didn't know, like that was my first sexual experience. And then you wonder like, well, am I gay? And then you think about, wow, the world you live in, everybody hates gays. And you're like, oh God, perfect. Yeah, what, yeah. A, what a, mm -hmm. great, you know, what a, what a great deal of cards I, I've been dealt. And um, so up until I was 20, I really, I, didn't, I was never in a relationship with a girl because I had to deal with, you know, so much insecurity and so many, so many, so many different issues. So that was, you know, it was, it was a hell of a ride. And unfortunately, or fortunately, first of all, no, fortunately, I managed to survive after all of that. I managed to kind I'd say of thrive, brother. I'd say thrive, not just survive. You, yeah, you, yeah, no, but in the beginning, you know, I managed to survive for all of that. Right, but right, then right. Mm -hmm. I around my 20s where I realized, okay, now I need to go in a completely different direction. And everything that I've learned up until that point, it did help me out. But if I wanted to live a life where I was, you know, I was really feeling happy, where things are meaningful and the relationships really matter, I needed to let go of all of that. And it wasn't an easy process. It, it all, it was kind of like, you know, peeling off uh, an onion. It was layer by layer, layer by layer. And it was always tears, tears with every layer that was kind of taken out. And, um, I still feel I haven't reached the, the center of that, uh, of that onion. I feel, I still feel there's process and progress that I, I need to do. And the last year kind of taught me that a great, uh, a great amount. I've been doing therapy for four years and I've been involved in personal development, I think since 2010. And that's when kind of my rebirth and resurgence, uh, started. And yeah, it's been 10 years since then. So I, I think it's important to, to have this in mind for all of us, like as we try to, you know, let go of our past and really become the, the version we want to be or who we really are, uh, it doesn't really come easy. Uh, it takes a lot, of, uh, a lot of ups and downs. It takes a lot of patience and hard work. And right when you feel like, oh, finally, I got the grips of it. I understand. Now I know, uh, you know, life has a way of kind of showing you, no, you don't. 
And um, yeah, I've had to then go through, um, you know, having having to start my own business, which was incredibly difficult and challenging, uh, while at the same time being in a relationship with my co-founder, which then proved to be incredibly challenging on, on so many levels. Um, then moving out of uh, out of Romania and then trying to establish myself uh, abroad, another great challenge. Then the accident that happened in Amsterdam, which was again a moment to re reorient and and see things differently. And then um, then coming back to Bucharest, uh, doing going through my experience uh, in in politics, which was again a big upheaval and a big challenge. And all of these things, like I said, they, they come together and they all they all help me out in the process. But I can't really say that now I'm at the end of it. Uh, nobody really knows when the end is. Uh, but it, it's a process that is worth it none, nonetheless. Like through every peel of that onion, it's uh, at the end of the tears, you know, there's a, there's a feeling of, of fulfillment and of, uh, so to say, possibility. And that's kind of the... Um, the, the beauty of this whole process that we reinvent ourselves we see different sides of who we are and we find new possibilities and new potential to to live a better life and um i'm even though there are moments when you know it, it's excruciatingly excruciatingly difficult at the end of it once i once the dust settles um i don't there's nothing i feel more than than gratitude for being where I am and uh, being uh, grateful for the learning and uh, all of the wisdom that has been gained from that experience. Yeah, man, and I couldn't have said it. You know, you said it really, really beautiful, Alex. Thank you so much for sharing that part. And, uh, you know, um, it's not always easy, obviously, to share that part, but I just, you know, wanted because for me, you're a beautiful example of what something, a core belief of mine, which is, you know, that um, in order for the, the light literally shines through where the crack or the scar came from. So literally all your pains, ultimately, if you're willing to go through that process, if you're willing to face that pain, that is literally the source of inspiration of beauty and wisdom. And what better example than what everything that you've been through? And for example, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, sit and go through the whole examples, but you were you were raised in a place where, you know, you could have easily turned against education, where you had people who were your role models in education, like literally beating you, and you chose instead to make education your vocation. That's what I find beautiful, yeah. right? And, yeah, and, yeah. You went, and you went from something which, of course, it's, you know, I can't imagine the amount of, uh, of, of shame associated and guilt and all those things, which, by the way, there's many different events that can cause all the things, but you've chosen, yeah. again, a profession where you help people stand in their light, stand in their, you know, in their brightness and share the most vulnerable parts of themselves. And you do that you know, through your example. So, you know, I just wanted people to get a little glimpse of the beauty that you are, Mr. Alex Glaude. And by the way, you know, uh, you guys want to invite this guy to a party any place. He's the life of any party in that sense. And, uh, and because you're so honest, because you're so open and, and, you know, always willing to be vulnerable. And by the way, man, if there's one thing about this, this podcast is, you know, we have people that really respect, admire and, and, and go after truth and and seek truth and men you know not as as they say in in romania you know you're really doing that and i applaud you every step of the way and you're always i'm always your biggest supporter so man look um uh, on that topic then i mean you know for me uh, your story and you know even the the stories that i share really is all about healing it's all about getting past certain points because the human reality is that we're going to have pain we're going to have disappointment we're going to have hardships tragedy all those kind of things yeah. And what would you say? What would you say then is the ultimate lesson of it all, and how storytelling ties into that? You know. Hmm. Well, 
if I would know the ultimate lesson, <laughs> you know, I'd be, uh, I'd be, I don't know, uh, I'd be the billionaire or the influencer of the world. True. I don't know. Um, I, I think it's very hard to pin it down to one thing. Um, but I think it's always the idea that we move through life in a very humble way. And that's, I think, the best way to live. Uh, to live in a place of humbleness and to sense of feeling grateful for everything we have, to feeling grateful for what we're experiencing. Now, some of us um, are going through harder stuff than we are. Uh, some of us are having it easier than we are. But in the end, that's not really what matters. What matters is to really look at where we are and to see what can we make out of this, you know? Uh, yes, we can compare ourselves to others and kind of feel very sad that I don't have what this other person has or stuff like that. But in the end, it matters what can you do with what we have. And this is a, a belief that I've that I've formed like many, many years ago. Uh, and sometimes I, I lose track of it, but I believe it is the core essence uh, of it all is that if you want the life you have, you'll have the life you want. Or like if you love the life you have, you will have the life you love. Mm -hmm. So it kind of, I believe in general, when you do st storytelling kind of is all about just accepting, hey, this is who I am. This is my story. This is what I have. This is what I get. And it might not be perfect. It might not be exactly what I want it to be. Um, but in the end, this is what I have. And the question is, what can I do with it? What can I do with the story? What can I do with the context that I'm at, with the situation I'm in right now? And there is endless possibility when, once we take responsibility. Uh, once we put, let's say, someone else in the, um, as the main character and we kind of let that person decide our story, there's a lot of suffering, there's a lot of, uh, of um, insecurity, but also a lot of hopelessness because this is, this is the you don't know state, what... Right? This, is, this is the victim yeah. state, right? Blaming others. It's the victim it's state. out of my control. Yeah, yeah, keep going. Sorry. Yeah, yeah everything. And, um, and so storytelling, I believe, is a way to kind of say, no, this is my story. Okay, I, I did not choose what happened to me or, um, you know, it, it happened the way it happened and I can't take back time because sometimes it's not about things that happen to us. It's also the things that we do because we also can create suffering in other people's lives or create suffering for ourselves. And, um, and it, it starts with accepting that, saying, hey, I fucked up. I really messed up in, in an incredibly, how to say, like epic way, even though I thought I was doing good. And to admit that is the key to any process of growth, you know, and storytelling is a way to say, all right, so this is where I'm at. Now, what can I do with it? What can I do with this fuck up? How can this inspire me to become better? Or what can I learn from it? And uh, yeah, that's, uh, I think that's kind of the, the ultimate lesson is to kind of see yourself as never co truly complete, yeah. but rather a continuous work of art that you can always improve I but that. that i can at the same time can you know grow old and need some uh, re, re let's say revitalization <laughs> right hey look uh, in what you said um uh, you know at least from this discussion because you can dissect it many ways and i'm sure you know there's there's so many things and we can go in the subject really really deep but you know for me what i took from what you just said which is really powerful very insightful and really beautifully put alex is is three things when it comes to when people say the power of storytelling I think the very first thing is in the ownership of your story. That's the first time you claim the power. Yeah. That's saying no matter yeah. what's happening outside, no matter who's to blame, I'm taking responsibility and acceptance for all of it. And that's the first step for you really to gain control. The second step is what is a story that I want now 
to how do I want basically this story to be told? This is where you actually put your own meaning towards it. You know, this is where you can make sense out of situations that don't seem fair, don't seem just and find the beauty, the strength, all those things. Find how those situations actually can be a gift for you because, you know, we're constantly assigning the meaning we want to things, right? Uh, one event yeah. could mean one thing to one person, could mean a completely different event to another person, right? You know, uh, um, um, you know uh, violence as a kid could mean for one, if you're talking about twins, could mean for one twin that they end up becoming a violent parent themselves and for the other they could end up adopting a million children because of the, the pain they suffered when they were kids. So, you know, it's always the meaning that we associate and it's always up to us, right? We have the freedom to choose what meaning we associate. That's the second, let's say, when I, when I hear power of storytelling. Now, the third one, which you said, which just came to me right now, which is really beautiful, is also, it's about the reinvention and the constant reinvention, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we also have to be ready to to um, leave old stuff behind. You know, uh, that that's the most difficult part. You know, because sometimes it can be a justification. Like that's what we're actually doing in the process. Right. Oh, okay. I accept and I take responsibility for what I'm doing, but in the end, I'm the one who's right. And in the end, it was okay the way I said it the whole the whole time. And then you don't really just you don't really grow. You're just back yeah. to where you started and you still believe in the same things and sometimes it's really be about okay i know i was incredibly wrong and i'm like okay what can i learn about this you know because it's not storytelling and in general life is not just about pampering ourselves okay pampering is important when we deal with a lot of shame and guilt but sometimes if we did shit we need to accept that shit like okay i did it it was awful fuck what the hell was i thinking and now is what can i learn or what do I need to do in order to prove to myself, not to everyone else, to myself, that I've really integrated this, that I've really learned my lesson? Because if not, life will bring it back, you know, like uh, it will come back to us one way or the other. And so that's that's kind of um, this is what I believe is the, the, the crucial side to really be ready to reinvent and to do things differently. So, uh, look, uh, that leads us on a subject that is very dear to me. It's what brought us together, right? It's, uh, you know, how we view our role in the overall narrative of, hey, this world is crap, this world's going to hell, our city's crap, our country's crap, all the kind of disempowering stories and meanings that we give to current events, which are very true, and we do have to take ownership, like you said. But before I do that, Alex, and before we go into your very interesting stunt into politics, uh, I'm just going to give a quick shout-out to a couple of people here. First of all, uh, Oladapo says, very insightful. Adrian Cup says, what's up? Gabriela Whitfield sends a wave. Love you, baby. Welcome to the show. Thank you for watching. Patrick, all the way from the Philippines, says, what's up? And we have a couple more here. Octav. Octav, we know Octav, right? You know Octav. Octavian, you know Octav. He says, Nota Zeche. Stan Pablo <laughs> says, owning your vulnerability. This is powerful. And he also says, taking responsibility is the best and hardest thing I've ever tried to implement in my life. But hell, it is rewarding. And yes, it is, brother. Now, yeah. guys, you know, we're just going to go into the third chapter of our discussion. And then we're probably going to close off. So here's your last chance to ask, you know, how how can you be a more effective storyteller? In what ways can you use storytelling more effectively? In what ways or methods or techniques can you take more responsibility for your own story, your own life? And how can you rewrite it in a way that's inspiring, that, you know, uh, inspires beauty, truth, and all the things, all the meaning that we talked of that's so crucial for your own happiness, your own fulfillment. How do you do that? Now's your chance to ask, guys. I want to see it in the comments. Come on. So... Alex, man, uh, um, let's go into the third act of this discussion, which is mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, me and Alex have bonded over, and I never in a million years thought that I would be doing this at this stage at least, right? My, my, my story in my head was I'm going to be a wealthy businessman, make a lot of money, and then, you know, give back to society, right? But life doesn't work that way exactly. So, you know, uh, along the process, I've realized actually that, you know, you got to kind of do all things that you set out to do and find a way to do them all at the same time. And one lucky, let's say, coincidence that happened was the moment where, where we met, where we met, and then that we were mm -hmm. both invited to end up hosting this cool little event called Urban Talks. And Urban Talks, guys, by the way, big shout out to Grazian, Grazian Mihailescu. Guys, you wanna check out Urbanize Hub and check, mm -hmm. out, check it out for all sources of information on smart living, green living, on what you can do, civic activism, right? All those things. All those important subjects that can really help, let's say, uh, better our society, better the world around us, more sustainable practices, you'll find there at Urbanize Hub. And you can come check out our talks, Urban Talks. Me and Alex are usually the host there. And, um, you know, what this whole experience of hosting the show taught me actually is, you know, what really civic activism really means. And, you know, for me and my part, I realized that at least my involvement was to use my skills, which is, you know, storytelling, speaking, you know, doing what we're doing now to try and let's say promote some topics and bring some education around the world. And you were doing the same with me. But at one point, I remember a conversation we had about, let's say a year and a half ago, when you told me, Colin, I'm thinking, and I'm probably gonna get into politics. I'm gonna join this party. And I'm thinking that I can go out and try to do some good in the world. And, you know, you told me that, you know, a couple of people were kind of trying to talk you out of it, or trying to say, listen, you know, politics is politics. And I told you one thing, do you remember what it was? Mm, I told not you, sure, do refresh my memory. <laughs> I told you, Alex, man, you would be a politician that I would vote for, because what I think in today's uh, day and age is, you know, in a world and especially in a political scene where it is about the politics, it is about the party structures, it is about the power structures within them. I think someone who can really own an authentic voice and even if he might not have the most experience around, you know, political structure, governance and all those things is still something that can inspire a lot of people. Right. That's what I told you. And then you went into that journey and that process. And I'd love to cover, you know, what did you learn from that whole process? What was the experience like? You know, what did you set out to achieve? What, end, what did you end up learning in the end? Walk us through a little bit about that, because it's really fascinating about you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, to give a bit of the first the outer journey and then the inner journey. The outer journey was that I joined uh, USERE, um, which was kind of a fresh new uh, party in Romania in 2018. And then uh, I, right away I got involved in everything that had to do with the induction and recruitment of new people in the party. And uh, I quickly took the, the local uh, chapter from 150 members to 300 members in just six months. Wow. And then I got involved into a debate on uh, pol like, uh, public policies on youth and sports. Um, and then I also ran for inside the party for the European Parliament because the European elections were happening that happened uh, in May of 2019. And so I joined that. I ran for office and I also was in charge of doing the team building for my local chapter and stuff like that. So that's kind of been uh, the external journey. The inner journey was um, very much about understanding, first of all, that I do have, I finally have a platform where I could have my voice set. Because like in classical political parties, unfortunately, it's all about, you know, who you know, uh, you know, who you have to, whose ass you have to kiss and all of that stuff. Now, over here, I realized that most of the people that I met before didn't realize how to fully make, get their voice out there and how to fully form connections and to, 
go into a constructive area because there was a lot of ne negativity coming from hating the, the political parties in power, but there was le less of what I would call a positive drive towards something, a clear vision, a clear idea. It was just about let's be negative for the sake of being negative at one point. And I simply said, like, that's not how you build a movement. That's not how you make a difference. They never, and so, they never raise um, a statue out of a critic, right? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't really work that way. But um, and so that's why I decided to run for office. I wanted to kind of give um, I wanted to give a different a different approach um, to to see how, how you can make a different type of, uh, of political campaign. But please do take in mind, um, I, I was a bit of a rising star, but I was still a member for like two or three months. And I didn't have a team behind me. And it was like a national campaign, like like the primaries in the U.S., and to cover all of all the country and all the debates was pretty, pretty difficult. So that's why, in the end, I really couldn't um, make it on the, the top list. But wherever I went in those debates, I really tried to kind of make a point about something that was important, either whether it was about uh, depression and anxiety, our relationship with the environment, um, or how we, uh, what type of, um, of public policies we, we integrate to have those cities of the future and to make sure that we create cities that, where we feel like we're truly at home. And what I haven't uh, realized that indeed um, politics is still about power structures. You do need to have connections and communities created, but that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing in the sense that it's true that on your own, you really can't really reform society. It, ha it has to be a, a community project. And so um, there is that possibility to create a community and to create uh, so to bring people around a common goal. And that's something that I didn't do. And uh, I re and that's in general relevant for, for every politician. Um, now there's two ways to go about this. Either you can be the, the idea that our common objective is for all of us to get rich and to get into power. That can be the common objective. And that's the classical way through which people kind of form these structures. Or it can be about, hey, we have these policies, we have these ideas, and we want to see these implemented. And that's that's why we want those positions of power, and that's why we support each other as a community, because we want to see this implemented. Now, um, it's hard to create something like this. Um, it's not really easy, and it does take time. And um, I kind of, I was kind of like Icarus. I really went all the way up to, to the stars, which was very difficult. And I, I realized later that, okay, maybe it would, it would have been wiser, and it is wiser to start more local, more down to earth. And... Um, and that's kind of then realizing that it's incredibly easy for all of us. If we want to get involved into our local community, it's really simple. Now you have political parties that really can be open where you can make a difference. And if you have a clear idea, a clear project, you can get involved. You can do something about it and you can run for the local council. And you don't have to lose your job because in, in Romania, for example, it's something you do once a month. And so it's not really something that takes all of your of your time. And it empowered me a great deal because besides policy, it also got me thinking to what also I can do as a citizen. And, you know, and being involved, not just from, uh, you know, taking a stand on certain issues. It was also about changing lifestyle and changing the things that are, um, I do that are not useful uh, right. for, for mm -hmm. the future. So, so that's kind of uh, a bit of what has been my learning process and knowing that if I am going to do this again, I'm going to create a team and I'm going to look for people that resonate with, or at least to see what the community actually wants. What are the ideals and the vision that we all subscribe to and to work together to that goal and not to make it about me, but rather about us, how we have, and I like, you know, cause the person who is 
in that position. He's just the voice of the community. And that's, that's how politics is supposed to work. You're supposed to be the voice of the community um, of a group of people that want a certain future. And that's why they, you know, vote you and put you there. And uh, if anyone's interested next time around, Alex, guys, check him out on his Facebook page. If you want to get involved in politics, if you like the sound of Alex's voice and you should by way of his example. By the way, Alex, man, you're doing a lot of cool things in terms of your lifestyle. A lot of things change your lifestyle since you entered the political scene. You've always been a conscientious person. But, you know, from deciding to, you know, uh, go by bike on most cases in public transport to your extreme lengths that you go through recycling and, and all the other stuff. Walk me through some of the changes you went to in terms of your behavior since you've been going on this journey, since you're becoming more civic aware. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like yeah, maybe... so for example, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So for example, like well, one of the things that I started with is fully understanding the, the, the role I play in my community. So for example, Getting politically involved, the simplest thing that I started with, and it's, it's available to everyone, is not only voting, which, you know, sh should be a, a given, but it's not for most people. It's also the ability to kind of be part of that uh, electoral commission. Uh, and I did it uh, not in Bucharest, not in my hometown, but I did it in the village where my mom comes from. And so the moment I did that, that's when something really different happened, because then people were like, oh, wow well, wow, you know, it, it kind of sends a message to the community once you say like, hey, I really care about this. And the fact that you're there, on one side, you kind of protect the, um, the legal process and you make sure the votes are counted correctly. But more than that, it sends a message to your community. It sends a message of, hey, I care about this. I care about our future and I care about things being done right. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, I think it's an important message that we need to give to even to, to our older communities that, Okay, look, young people, they're not just here to complain and to simply say, ah, give us things for free and stuff like that. No, we're here to take ownership. So if we kind of give that example early on, as, as young as we can, then people will kind of look at us differently. And I remember that my mom actually asked me like a week after doing that, like, hey, are you thinking of running for mayor? Because everybody in the, in the village is asking, like, whether you're going to run for mayor or when we're going to see you do something about that, you know? So, you see, just, just by being present, all of a sudden, people's perspective change, you know? And, and, um, and that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a first start. Like, you know, uh, do, make sure you vote and also make sure you're part of the, um, the electoral campaign. If, if there's somebody you support, be there for them. And, and if there's not somebody you support and you believe there's nobody that can really, you know, have your interests, then you should run for office. See what it what it means. Go for the process. It's incredibly um, fun, and you'll see there are a lot of people that are there to back you up. Yeah, I love this because. Second, uh, yeah, go ahead, please go ahead. I'll tell you in the end. Please continue. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, second, what about the, my relationship with the environment? So there was about consumption and uh, all of those things. So for example, uh, by principle, I don't drive a car, and I don't plan on driving a car unless. It's incredibly useful, but I kind of designed my life in a way to always make sure that wherever I live, wherever I go, I can rely on public transport. I don't need to buy my own car. And uh, that kind of uh, reduces, so to say, my carbon footprint. I do travel by plane a lot, which is unfortunate due to the fact that we don't have that much of a railway infrastructure in Europe. And so right now, that is a part that I, I wish I could change, but right now I can't. Um, but um, if whatever that possibility arises, I will definitely do that. Um, second, it was about plastic, because yes, I do recycle a great deal, but sometimes the real problem isn't the recycling of plastic, it's the consumption itself. So one way I realized I was consuming a lot of plastic was because in Bucharest, the, the tap water is not drinkable. 
So I decided then rather than always buying water and having to drag it home, I would just install a filter at, at my house. And boy, oh boy, did that make a difference. Because like in two weeks, I would have at least 10 or 15 bottles that would stack up around the house. And now they were gone. Yeah, we and so that's kind of we install the filter guys living in romania especially because a lot of bottled water drinkers and i did it for a long time install yeah. a filter in your tap it's the easiest thing to do you won't have to go carrying yeah. bottles around from the store and and you know finding spaces to throw out your empty bottles definitely good good piece of advice there alex yeah so then like there's a lot of these small you know small little things and and at the end of the day, besides all of that, it's also the, the, the role we have in our community in terms of the relationships we form, you know, because there's also uh, other problems that, that are beyond just our relationship with environment and politics. And it's the fact that most people feel alone, they feel overwhelmed, they feel they're going through harsh, hardships and no, there's nobody there for them. And so it's also important, uh, it's also made me aware of what, what role I take in the relationships that I have. And last but not least, we all come from a educational environment that we can change. And so when I had my birthday two years ago, um, I, um, I created this fundraising campaign and I, I raised money so that for my former um, class, uh, classroom from, uh, from high school, they would uh, have whiteboard, uh, like a, two big whiteboards and whiteboard markers because they still had the chalk, the old thing that we had for years, which is toxic and it's not really good for, for children's health. We had a video projector installed and a, and, a, and a projection screen. And we also brought in some books for, for them to read. And that was a very simple thing that I could do. And that was actually at, at our fingertips at any, any moment. You know, whenever you have a birthday, you don't need more gifts. You don't need more stuff. You can simply say, hey, guys, raise money for this particular situation. Now, there is that option for Facebook where for your birthday, you raise, raise money right. for some charity. But I say, no, 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 take it further. Go back to your classroom. Go back to where you're part of that community because that's when it really makes a difference because you also send out a message to that community. You, you send out a message to your colleagues from school like, hey, let's get involved into making this better. We all came from this place and we should you know, give back, not necessarily because we owe something to that space, but because it would be better for the ones that come after us to live in better conditions than we lived, you know? And so these are very simple things. And if we engage ourselves in that way, like imagine the impact and in a city of 2 million people, imagine all 2 million people, or let's say, no, 2 million is too much. Let's say 500,000 people. Okay. So 500,000 people managed to raise each a thousand euros on their birthday in one year. Now that's, that is about 500 million. Am I wrong? Uh, pretty much, no, I th well, I think so. Math's terrible. No. If someone wants to comment, no, you can help us out. <laughs> yeah, 500 million euros, right? Right. I think so. So that's 500 million euros that can be raised every year in our birthdays. You know, and a thousand euros is pretty, if you have friends around you, that you can raise that type of money. So imagine what you can do with 500 million euros in one year and us getting involved in our local communities, knowing those communities better than anyone else does, you know, any politician, any other person. So that's a, a very simple, short example of how you can make a difference, you know, and it's always there. It's always uh, at our fingertips. Yes, big policies are important and we need to strive for that shit as well. Uh, but at the same time, we also need to step up our game and get involved. So look, man, you know, uh, you know, you're one of the first few people I know in my age group, friends, similar kind of backgrounds in terms of ideology beliefs as me 
who took an active step into politics. That was fascinating. And that's why I've been kind of like following your journey. And I was always supporting because I literally think that I am so disengaged with the political scene because there's a lack of people like you there. Now, of course, it's also mm -hmm. because I'm not engaged myself and I probably could find if I went and searched and spent more time there. The second thing that's really inspiring is how, you know, the different individual actions that you take, like you just mentioned. I was about to ask you, for example, why do you think it's so hard for people to get engaged with community and civil life for those people who don't? But you set a great example there, which is, okay, go back to what you are engaged with, meaning your local community, where you came from, your roots. Start from there, right? People have this extrapolation of, hey, look, the world's this way. Well, the world's a pretty big problem to deal with. Why don't you go to your local community, your local classroom and start there, yeah. right? That's a great, yeah. great message. And, and the last thing I wanted to ask you about this is, you know, so there's action, there's your example. What would you say, what's the message you would give to people who are caught up in that dialogue that's going on right now, which is the world's going to crap. It's, uh, you know, the pollution's through the roof. Politics sucks. This country sucks. Romania is a crap place. And whatever country you're from is a crap place. I hear the same thing from U.S., from Greece. Everyone thinks that they live in a crap place. What would you say to those mm -hmm. people? Well, you know, first and foremost, you might be right. And it's okay. Like you know, we all, you know, we, you might be right, then it's okay. You might not live in the ideal place. And I'm sorry, but I don't think anyone lives in an ideal place. We all live in places that have issues. Now, first and foremost, okay, acknowledge it, but take responsibility for it. All right, I am living in a place that I do not like. Good. Next step. You want to move out or you want to stay? Good. Depending on which is which, start doing something about it, you know? Um, so th there are ways in which you can make that better, but it very much depends on your context. What I can give as my simple example is that at first I said, okay, I don't like Bucharest. I want to leave. I want to leave my country behind. And so I went to, to the Netherlands and I made a way to get there. But then I realized, well, actually, this is not really the solution. Um, uh, even though the city was better, it was not really giving me what I wanted. And then I came back and then I realized, okay, so what are the things that I don't like? I don't like to be caught in traffic. I don't want to um, rely on a car. I, I don't want to feel uh, overwhelmed by the, the city life. And I, I had a lot of things that I wasn't happy with. And I started doing things about it to make that experience meaningful. That's where all my involvement came through. So it's kind of first accepting and really writing down what exactly is it that you don't like, you know? and then seeing what can you do about it. You might not be able to save the world, which is fine. You know, we, nobody should take on that huge responsibility on their own, but you can contribute. And so if there's a, you know, there's a problem with pollution, for example, in your city, and this is a problem with Bucharest, and that's something that I've been unfortunately uh, postponing for a while, but now I'm gonna take seriously and actually do it, uh, is to buy a mask, you know, to, to have um, to make sure that I inhale uh, proper air. Because if there's one thing we're responsible, it's our health. So if we have the, uh, an alternative, we shouldn't let our lungs get infested with more of that shit, if, if that's something we're afraid of, you know? And um, it also sends out a message because the more people do that and the more people see that, then the more people start getting involved and the more start people start getting worried. And that kind of creates a bit of a butterfly effect. And, and after that, just be happy with what you're doing and be kind of find pride and gratitude for the fact that you have the possibility to do that. And if there are things you don't like, see how you can no longer become um, in any way exposed to it. Because let's say there is a problem, 
such as the fact that the, uh, the hospital system is not something you trust and you fear that if you go to a, a public hospital in Romania, it could suck. Well, in that case, if you don't want to be, be exposed to that, on one side, you can do your best to get the right people uh, in charge of, uh, you know, managing that hospital. Or second, what you can do is to think about how much money do you need to make in order to afford a private insurance for a hospital that can really take good care of you, you know? And that's a way in which you take responsibility. Okay, it sucks that the, the new money you have to win goes to that and not to other dreams of yours. But hey, do you want to do something about it or not? Or you just want to complain for the rest of your life? You know, it's kind of the idea of, of this idea of taking responsibility. Okay, it's not my fault. It's, it's not, I shouldn't feel in any way that it was my fault that we got here, but I am responsible for my health. I am responsible for my life. So let me see what I can do about it. And if you're doing something about it, great. If you're, of course, there's always a lot more you can do. And you might always feel like you, you read uh, so many different blog posts and know so many things about how you can do things for better. But there are some things that sometimes you won't be able to do. Now, right now, I'm okay with not having a car because I know I can do that. But then I don't judge my friends who have cars saying like, hey, motherfucker, why do you have a car? You know, I don't, I don't like, you know, uh, like when you turn vegan, it's not your responsibility to convert everyone into being vegan. It's your choice. Good for you. But don't be mad at anyone else for doing that. And at the same time, don't feel guilty for it. If there are certain things you can't do right now, it's okay. You just can't. You have limits. You're not Superman. You're not a, hum a superhero. If there's only three things you can do every month, which is either, I don't know, uh, putting that filter or whatever small thing it is, that is also a good place to start because it gives you hope and, and it shows you that, hey, you can do something. And hey, I can take some important decisions. And uh, the big ones were going to take a lot of time. If, for example, you're not happy with your job and you feel you should be paid better, but you want to stay in Romania. Well, maybe that implies making taking a new, a new master's or starting a new university, getting a new degree. Now that means three years of studying while you have to work. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. But if, if you really want that change, you also have to work hard for it. You can't just expect it to you know, fall out from the sky. So I think also... Um just as a summary as well and to tie into everything that we've talked about into the subject of today's um, uh, discussion, which was storytelling. Man, you guys always have a choice about what meaning you attribute to your life circumstances, to your past, to your current circumstances. And hell, it's a lot more empowering to take ownership of what's going on in your life, decide to take action, decide to say, what can I do better for this? How can this make more sense? What good does it actually bring than sitting around and bitching about why things don't work and creating more and more apathy, apathy and, you know, uh, uh, creating more and more, let's say, distrust and fueling that public discourse of why people should not feel engaged with their society. And again, as a result, creating more and more that vicious cycle of people not doing anything about it. So at any one moment, guys, you have a choice. It's up to you. That's the beautiful part of owning your story. And the power of storytelling is you get to assign the meaning. So you might as well choose an empowering story over a disempowering one. And uh, Alex, just a couple of comments from our viewers. And then we're going to round off with, uh, with the final question I'd like to leave you with uh, and uh, and maybe some advice for the viewers but just before we go there stan pavlo from bulgaria a wonderful guy he was on the show last week by the way he says I've always, hi stan hey um he says stan says i've always been incredibly skeptic towards all things political 
mainly because of growing up in a former socialist country infested with corruption and watching almost only weak leaders rise to power. I simply knew nothing else. I witnessed a change in world's politics lately, not so much locally, and Alex would be one of those people I will watch closely in the upcoming years. And he also says, emigrating is the easy way out, despite all difficulties that came with it. Staying and making a change is hard. Respect, Stan, for staying in your home country, Bulgaria, and, and making the best of it, and doing what you do, mate. Um, I think we have an other comment. One second. Colin, we can barely hear you, says Adina. That's not good. Can you hear me a bit better now, Adina? Let us know. Okay. So, Alex, I'd like to run off today's discussion with what's your best piece of advice that you would advise to anyone who's watching right now who's looking to live a life of more meaning, of more purpose, of more impact, right? And, uh, and what's the best piece of advice you can give them? Well, I can give kind of the the lesson and in the the process I am I am in right now because I'm finding this incredibly beautiful. Um, ask for feedback. Like sit down with the people um, you're in relationships with, whether business relationships, um, uh, friendships, uh, romantic relationships, whatever it is, uh, or you know your child, if uh, if you're already a parent, uh, and simply sit down and say, what am I doing right? what is it that I'm doing that you appreciate and that you value and that you, you appreciate about our relationship? Second, where am I making mistakes? Where are my faults and where am I somehow faulting to you or like, you know, and third, what is it that I can do better? You know, how can I, uh, improve and grow uh, in, in our relationship? I think sitting, sitting down and doing that can be incredibly empowering. It can give us on one side an idea of what is our true value and what we bring to people. It can help us always be aware of where we make mistakes. And last but not least, it uh, can give us an insight into how we can become better, better people. But just make sure that you are in a relationship that is truly reciprocal and uh, where people really care about you. If it's a toxic, toxic relationship, do not ask for feedback. <laughs> like if it's a toxic relationship where it's all about what you have to do for the other person, but you mean nothing to them in, or like your needs and opinions don't really matter. Then in that, that case, it's a bit more complicated and I don't really have an answer to that. But if you have relationships that you feel are constructive and you care about those relationships, you really want them to function, uh, ask for feedback. Cause I believe that's something that can, uh, and I believe it's, it can be valuable, but I think it's also a beautiful, um, habit that we should encourage uh, in our relationships because I believe it can be beautiful for both sides. You know, the one who receives feedback, the ones who gives feedback, and I think it's good to be in both situations because uh, if after you know three sessions of you receiving feedback, they're not interested in getting feedback from you, uh, then you, there's a bit of a problem right right there. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's a very very beautiful and a very uh, humble lesson. We always talk on the show about you know how to take life to the next level, how to play it up. But uh, I think that's a very, very humble lesson, which is, you know, value your relationships and, you know, uh, take advantage and, and communicate more because communication really is 
the key to bridging differences where that, you know, meaning of life and storytelling that we talked about is something that you can create or co-create together and find some common meanings. And I think as a result, we'll all be happier uh, as a society. And because, you know, we, we literally discover ourselves through others in the eyes of others. Really, that's how we actually find ourselves through contrast with the outside world. So the more you can bridge that, the more you can create harmony with that. I think that's a really, really beautiful lesson, man. And let me tell you my feedback for you, Alex. Oh, go ahead. Alex. Yeah, yeah. But before you go into that, yeah? I do, I do, I do have to um, kind of disagree with you on that one. This is a, 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 an advice for taking it to the next level. Yes. It's not just about humbleness, but like, man, if you want to get better with, with your business and you want to get, like, you know, sit down with your customers and really find out what is that you do good for them and what can you do better, because you know that's kind of where it starts. So this is about taking it to the next level. No, no, it, I, I, it is incredibly about that. So did not mean that it wasn't. I meant that it's the most humble way to actually ask that because it's the hardest. Yeah, thing. I mean, true. you know, we talk here about you know how you create a great vision, how do you get motivated, all those stuff. But hey, man, a big part of that, the hardest part of that, like you just mentioned, is go out there and ask for feedback. How am I doing? How am I doing this right? The political pros that you talked about, your community, basically, mm -hmm. right? Ask those hard questions. Get the feedback. Okay, that's that's the hard part, and that really is, like you said, a huge, huge game changer to taking it up to the next level. And hey, guys, uh, you know, we've just spent an hour and a half talking about the power yeah. of storytelling. You shared your beautiful and powerful story with us, Alex. We talked about the hero's journey. We talked about all these beautiful things. And guys, if you're inspired by today's conversation, right, and you're inspired by, you know, uh, um, Alex's story, what he does and how he delivers it, then I want you to know that there is a very, very special offer right now on all of Alex's courses on Udemy. If you're interested to get one of those courses on Udemy, he's done courses on uh, storytelling for businesses, storytelling for uh, or drawing and storytelling. What's the other courses you have there, Alex? A couple of them. So there's uh, storytelling for public yeah. speaking, yeah. storytelling for marketing and entrepreneurship, for persuasion and transformation, and drawing for business communication, drawing for meetings, trainings, and presentations. And it's also a course on the trends of the future. So if you want up until the, la the end of the week, if you use the Colin 20, uh, that's Colin's name, uh, then 20, if you use that coupon, you'll get it at the lowest price uh, possible. Yeah, so there you have it, guy. Hey, I, I sincerely recommend it. I've done two of Alex's courses. I've shared stages with him. The guy literally is a master uh, in terms of storytelling. But not only that, you've seen his sincerity, his empathy, the way he actually conducts himself in his life and everything that he does. Uh, and, and if you weren't inspired by that, I don't know what you're going to be inspired by. So, guys, if you want, check it out. It's a great deal. It's a great offer. I really couldn't recommend anything with all my heart. And so, guys, thank you very, very much for joining Alex, man. Thank you so, so much for coming here and sharing your time and your and your story with us and, and all those things. And especially all the way from Uruguay, I wish you the best of luck there. Happy cocooning. And I can't wait to see what you're going to get up to when you come back. And uh, and thank you so much for being here, man. Thank you as well. It was a, it was an honor to be here. And um, yeah, looking forward to coming back home and also seeing what, what surfaces after my cocooning process. I'm also curious. <laughs> All right, guys, again, a big, big thank you for Alex. And just a quick word, next week on Tuesday, I'm going to be talking to a gentleman uh, called Mirel Brand. Mirel Brand is a writer, a journalist, and also a host at RFI Romania. 
which is a radio station for the French community. We're going to be talking about future trends for business, and uh, and uh, you want to stay tuned for that. Mirel is an incredibly interesting guy, uh, and uh, he's lived a fascinating life here in Romania, reporting for events outside of Romania for the French community. And also, he's got a huge, huge portfolio of people who have come through his radio studio. So he's interviewed a bunch of really, really interesting people here in Romania. So you're going to want to hear about that. Thank you so much for being a part of this, and I'm going to check you out in next week's Architects of the Future. Alex, thank you so much, my brother. Peace out. Bye-bye. Peace out, guys.